Man, uh, we are in this weird place, this weird season. Do you feel like this is a weird in-between time? It's, you know, it's not Merry Christmas, it's Happy New Year's, is, right? Like, so, um, here we are. It's New Year's Eve, right? New Year's Eve today. So, Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. We're, uh, um, have you been looking back at 2017 any? You've been looking back? Man, <laughs> Some people, I don't look back. I only look forward. It's been good. I, I hope it's been a good year for you, and uh, we're excited about what God has in store for us in 2018. Uh, as I was thinking about this day, like uh, we've, we've got a teaching series that we want to start in the new year, but it's not quite there, and it's not exactly, it's not Christmas anymore, and so kind of in this, this place between, uh, the, the truth is I, I started looking back a little bit, and, and today's teaching, the last time I did uh, this text, this teaching was, uh, was May 8th, 2011, and it was right here. It was on this stage, and uh, I don't know, how, were any of you guys here May 8th, 2011? Yep, that's about how many people were here then, too. <laughs> I was interviewing for the teaching job here at Aspen Grove. They were having the American Idol of Preachers. They had a different preacher every week. It was my week. The judges went behind screens and voted. Um, and uh, that Sunday, I, I don't know what got into me, but that my very first uh, trial teaching, intro teaching, I taught a, a, on a text out of Matthew chapter 25. And I guarantee of all the people interviewing for this job, I was the only one to choose that text. Um, because it's a, it's a tough text and an interesting text, but um, there, I think there's something there for us today, looking back and looking forward, uh, Christmas and Advent and this in-between season, thinking about New Year's, I, I think there's something there for us. And so uh, uh, today's teaching is a, is a, a little bit of uh, something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new. So there, there's a little bit of everything in today's teaching. But Matthew 25, let me set the stage for you a little bit in context. Uh, next week and for the next few weeks, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. And to, to spend some time talking about Matthew 25 is a little bit odd for a couple of reasons. Because um, uh, this is Jesus like, like there's two seconds on the clock in the fourth quarter teaching. It's really Jesus' last formal teaching before uh, his arrest and trial and, and crucifixion. It, in some sense, it, it's, it's kind of like his, his last words. And in Matthew 25, Jesus expounds on his teaching from Matthew 24. We talked about that a little bit through the month of December. This, uh, he talks about the end of the world and second coming and what that's going to look like. And in Matthew 25, Jesus gives three parables to explain, okay, here's what, it's gonna, here's what the kingdom of heaven is, what he, the language he's going to use. He, he says, here's three parables about the kingdom of heaven and the second coming and what it's going to feel like. Maybe some of these are familiar to you. The first is a parable about some bridesmaids. And the, the essence of the story is some were ready and some were not. And then Jesus tells, he says, the kingdom of heaven is also like these workers who are given these different talents, these, this amount of money by their master. And the master goes away for the long time. And I don't know if you remember this story from, from your, your children's ministry days, but each servant receives a different amount of money, a different talent. And the master returns and 
And he looks for an account of what has been given. He says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. The, the master is going to return one day and he's going to look and see, here's what you've been given. What have you done with it? Give an account. And finally, the story and, and really our text for today, Jesus tells a parable of sheep and goats, of the coming of a king, and, and really it culminates in all the three parables culminate or, or find their pinnacle in this last one. Look at this text with me. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. Jesus says, fourth quarter teaching. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory to all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous, those on the right, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I know you know this part. I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you did, didn't visit me. And those on the left will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? When did we not help? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. You see why nobody else picks this text. <laughs> Like this is a this is a pretty striking story, in, in in a lot of ways. Like some of Jesus' last words, like before before the final events of his life, like like there's lots of repetition, like of hungry and sick and stranger and naked, and you know, like and he goes again and again, and and that all adds. Uh, I think that repetition sometimes that's hard to read, maybe, but the it, it's supposed to add emphasis and wake us up. Of when Jesus repeats something, it usually means it's really important. And the stakes are incredibly high in this story. Do you get that? Did you see that? Like he talks about 
fire and the place for demons and reserved for the devil himself. And like on one side, there's eternal life. And on the other side is eternal punishment. Like it doesn't get much more serious than that, right? And, and it's not just for some select. He says he comes and all the people, you know, it's, you know, it's like the junior high kids picking team picking kids for their kickball team, you know, like, like everybody is brought before him and some are for over here and some are for over here. And it's striking too, because this picture of, of some moment is, is, is so um, close. Do you get that? Like all of a sudden, I know it's hard for us to think about second coming and some of that, you know, it seems like it's, it's out there, but no one ever really thinks about it or talks about it. But here Jesus says, okay, I'm going to bring this far off thing and, and put it right here in front of you. And, and he, he says this far off thing or this thing that will happen, you don't get to know when, is also a, a, not just a someday kind of thing, but, but has implications, like, like there are implications even today. Like our participation in God's kingdom isn't something that is going to happen one day, it's something we're a part of today. I think it's also, and maybe this is just me and the way I read things, but like what's striking about this high stakes teaching, right? Eternal life, eternal punishment. What's striking in this teaching is what Jesus does not include. You know, there's really like some people are going to be in and some people are going to be out. And what Jesus doesn't include in this teaching at all is, is baptism, Right? That's not, on the, that's not on the scorecard. Uh, he doesn't in choose, and I think baptism is important. That's part of Jesus' teaching, like an example. But at least here, he doesn't include it. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, the difference between those who are in and those who are out is the people who, these are the people who go to church, and these are the people who don't go to church. He doesn't say that, right? Like, he doesn't talk about attendance, um, he doesn't mention, you know, well, these are the ones that read their Bible every day, or these are the ones that have memorized the most scripture. These are the ones that pray all the time. These are the ones that, that, that take communion. Like, these are all, like, important tenets of faith, and yet Jesus doesn't include any of that. At least in, in the context of, of kind of who is in and who is out, everything hinges on that, that phrase that Jesus uses, you can go ahead and put that next slide up there. The, the king will say, and he repeats this again and again, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, like that's the, that's the hinge of this whole thing, agreed? Like who are the least of these, my brothers and sisters? And, and the truth is theologians, and like you can pull up different commentaries, theologians are kind of all over the place. Some, some actually said that's the least of these is the disciples. The least of these, my brothers and sisters. The, it, he is talking about serving other Christians or other disciples. He's talking about serving people in the church. And, and others said, no, 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 no. Like the least of these, he, he's talking about all people everywhere. It's, it's, it's an inclusive, when he says brothers and sisters, he's talking about everyone. But really, 
there is a third answer, and I think a more, more obvious one. The least of these, at least in this, this story, is Jesus. Right? That whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. If you'll permit me, like, like um, we grow up and we teach all of our kids the golden rule. Like, like you know the golden rule. Um, you know, I, I've had kids tell me, well, it's, it's uh, do unto others as um, they have done to you. Like, no, that's not it. Like, <laughs> That's, that's the one, that's the black rule. I don't know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them or as, as you would want them to do to you. But I, actually, I think here Jesus actually takes that a step further. And uh, the golden rule is great, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. But here, I think Jesus actually takes it a step further. He, he kind of rewrites the, the, the golden rule and says, he, he says, I want you to do unto others, not as they would do to you, but I want you to do unto others as if they were me. Do you see that? Like he raises that bar, like I want you to see others as if they were me. Do unto others as you would do unto Jesus. That's a pretty big deal, right? Treat others the way you would treat Jesus. And I love the way it's this this teaching, you know, it talks about it is talking about some future event, but all of a sudden now it like plops it right here in our lap today, here in this moment. To see Jesus in others. So I don't always know how to do that. When I was thinking about this, the, the best example I could think of, the, and uh, you've heard me talk about her before, is, is uh, her name was Sister Agnes Bougeau. Uh, she was actually born in Albania in, in 1910. Uh, as, a, uh, as a young uh, as a young woman, she, she chose to be a, a nun in a Catholic faith, and she taught at a small private school in India. And she was there for nearly 20 years until one day, she, as she was going from the school, she encountered a woman laying dying on the street. I, I know this is a completely foreign idea for us, but even when, when my family was, uh, when my wife and I were in Ethiopia, we actually saw men and women on the street that were dying. There was no other place for them to go. And in India, in some places, at least, at least during this time, I don't know how much things have changed, she found a woman with no family and no friends and no hope and no one to care for, her, and she lay dying on the street. And for Sister Agnes, that moment changed her life. At that point, she was 39 years old, and the dying woman on the street, she kind of had a midlife crisis, I guess. And she began a, a whole new Catholic order. She left the small, private, safe, comfortable school she taught at. And she created a whole new order within the Catholic Church called the Missionaries of Charity. It's also then when she changed her name from Agnes to Teresa. You can go ahead and show that. I think I have a, maybe this looks more familiar to you. 
Mother Teresa didn't become Mother Teresa until she met that dying woman on the street. And she formed an organization called Missionaries of Charity, and their, their whole purpose was to serve the poorest of the poor, the dying, the sick, the lepers, HIV, abandoned children, everyone. Um, she began to serve all over. The, today, the Missionaries of Charities, is, has, they have orders of, of uh, nuns working in over 133 countries. She, there's, there's more than 5,000 sisters a part of the Missionaries of Charity. Literally, they fill, feed 100,000 people on a, on a regular, on a daily basis. Um, some of my favorite stories about um, Mother Teresa was... Um, uh, at, at one point in time, Mother Teresa won the Nobel Prize, and uh, she took all the prize money. I think you get a million dollars if you win the Nobel Prize. She took all the prize money and gave it away. At one point in time, the, the Pope really wanted to, to help her and help her ministry, so the Pope gave her a car. She gave the car away. The closest uh, people to Mother Teresa um, know, knew and saw that um, over the years, Mother Teresa's feet became horribly crippled. Her toes were kind of gnarled and curled, and it was hard for her to walk. And the truth is that they lived off charity of others. And so when a new box of shoes was donated to the order, Mother Teresa was always the first one to the box. But she was never there to choose the best shoes. She would dig through the box of shoes and choose the worst pair so no one else would have it. And for years and years and years of wearing the worst pair of shoes, her feet became crippled. Um, she was once asked, while, while holding a, a dying child, she was once asked, you know, what's the point of all of this? What, this, this child you're holding is, is beyond healing, is beyond help. And Mother Teresa's response was that, um, that the weakness and illness of this dying child is, she said, she said it was an ingenious disguise. You see, she believed when she looked into the face of the poor, of the needy, she believed it, when that she met that dying woman on the street corner, uh, on the sidewalk that day, that dying woman that changed her life, when she looked into her face, she believed, she knew that she was seeing the face of Jesus. She said before her death, we should serve the poor because they are Jesus. I had a chance to, uh, to uh, take some teenagers to, to work for the missionaries of charity. Uh, when I was learning more about Mother Teresa, I actually, we, I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there's actually an order of the missionaries of charity in, uh, the, in Dallas, not far from downtown, and their mission is the same, to serve the poorest of the poor, and they live by in, incredibly meager, meager means. Um, a lot of the, the sisters, the, so this is, this is all foreign 
land to me. But I wanted our teenagers to come, so we brought adults and teenagers and showed up and said, hey, we're here to, we're here to help. And, you know, they didn't have any problem putting us to work. <laughs> they had a special place for unwed mothers that they were taking care of. They lived incredibly Spartan existence. Uh, many of the, the sisters, uh, that uh, they wear the white and blue like Mother Teresa did as a part of her order. Um, it was pretty fascinating being around them and being with them. Um, the first thing I learned about them was that they were incredibly feisty. Like, don't mess with sister, whatever her name was. Like, just don't mess with them. Um, but they would totally mess with you. Like, <laughs> like um, there was one sister that we worked with really close, and uh, she was actually from Costa Rica. And when she saw me, she's, she walked right up to me and shook my hand and gave me a greeting, and she said, you know, you look just like a coconut tree. <laughs> Which became my name for the whole rest of that day. And we did simple work with them, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, all of the local restaurants and uh, even grocery stores would, all the, the old food or expired food or food they couldn't sell or extra food, like trucks just started showing up and unloading food. And these sisters just in the driveway of this, this house we were at, we just began to, to pile it up and to, to uh, fill bags with food. Um, bags kind of like this. I don't know if you guys remember that first teaching I had, the first teaching I ever gave. I filled bags of food. And uh, so I, I want you to experience a little bit of what happened that day. So I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you feel really nervous. I'm going to give one bag of food right here. He looked at his daughter like, here, you take it. <laughs> and I don't know. Here's another one. So, if you got a bag of food, your homework is, uh, before you get home, you need to find somebody who needs it. Embrace a little bit of what it felt like to be a missionary of charity. So, that's your, that's your homework. You don't get to go home. You don't get to watch football until uh, you hand out a bag of food to somebody who needs it. And what, my, what, what I and my students experienced that day was like, um, it was pretty incredible to be around a group of people that as they saw these strangers, some, some addicts, some obvious prostitutes, some, you know, everyone that showed up, like they, they treated everyone the same with, with so much kindness and gentleness and respect. It became really apparent that, that they weren't just looking at, at strangers or they weren't looking at needy people, but they, they were looking for Jesus in each and every person. That day changed me a lot, changed how I, I see people, how, I'll, how I want to see people. It changed our teenagers, too. And, and I've seen this happen a bunch with, uh, with teenagers and adults, too. Like, um, it, there is something about this experience of serving others that, that really like the rubber of our faith really meets the road. It, it really it produces some like, like lasting authenticity when, we, when we, we as the church, we as followers of Jesus serve others. I've been there when our, our, I've seen teenage girls 
uh, go up next to homeless men and women who were sleeping under bridges, and they were asleep. We didn't want to wake them up, so we left bags of food for them. And I watched as our teenagers, completely unprompted, wrote a prayer in the sand next to where they were sleeping for them. I watched our own teenagers as just we served at a food bank one day, uh, saw that a guy didn't have any shoes and didn't have a belt. And the teenager in the serving line took his own shoes off and his belt off and handed them across. His dad was standing behind him bawling, crying. Like to be able to see men and women as others. I love the way that serving has this this. You know, like I said, it produces in us some, some, some authentic, authentic faith. Um, when I worked for a church in Florida, we used to uh, serve the homeless. It's kind of a, we had a large homeless population. So it was easy to, for us to serve, and we easily got plugged into that. And I was telling my mom about this one day. My mom, and my mom and dad are a part of a big church in Birmingham, Alabama. And I was telling my mom, like, man, it's so awesome. We just, you know, we do simple things. And our teenager, like, he, can't, he didn't even have his shoes when he left, you know. And my mom got mad at their church and went to an elders meeting at their church. My mom did. My dad's on staff. And my mom said, why aren't we serving? Why aren't we doing this? And so they got plugged in with a local soup kitchen, and they started serving and uh, one of the first guys they ever took with them from the church um, was this 40-year-old guy. And, and he told my mom, he told my dad, he, he said, this is the first time, he'd been a Christian his whole life. He said, this is the first time I really know what it means to be a Christian. I think all of this is in Jesus teaching and this all of this is wrapped up in this this Matthew 25 teaching and for us um, the the challenge for us is to grow in compassion um, Mother Teresa was once asked I don't know who asked this question they were really dumb but somebody once asked Mother Teresa, how much do I give? I was like, oh, you're not too bright. But must, be, must have been overcome. But a reporter or interviewer, somebody asked Mother Teresa, how much do I give? And I, and I can see this because I've worked with the missionaries of charity, and I know how feisty they were. Um, but Mother Teresa waved her hand at this person. Didn't hit them, just waved their hand at them like a feisty grandmother is what I imagine. I don't know waved her hand at this person and said, I am your mother. I take this worry from you. I don't want you to worry about, am I giving enough? Am I not giving enough? I, he, she said, I, I take that from you. Instead, she said, only grow in compassion and love. Only grow in compassion and love. I know we're in, you know, 2018 is right around the corner, and this is that time of year that everyone is making resolutions. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to eat better. You know what I say? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like what if we put all that aside? What if, what if our resolution as Christians, as a church, was to grow in love and compassion? Wouldn't that be a worthy, noble goal?
because maybe Jesus is closer than we think. I love the story of my, um, I think this story is why I got the job here. I do. Um, I told the story of my, I, I think Harper at that time, my, my daughter was like one. And Harper had been away at our, our grandparents' house, something like that. Um, and uh, she was flying back. My mom was flying her back to Texas where we lived. And I was meeting, it was like the first time our, our daughter had been away. And I, I went to the airport to meet meet my mom and Harper on the way back. And like, this was like a scene straight out of the movies, right? So my mom comes around the corner and, the, you know, I'm waiting in the, in the area of the airport where I can wait and I'm not allowed to go past this area, but I see them coming. My mom comes around and then my little like one-year-old daughter Harper comes around and like Harper just goes, I mean, she just lights up like a little kid can, you know what I'm saying? And she starts screaming, daddy, daddy, daddy. And with arms open, just like starts running. And she like falls down, but she gets up and she, you know, she's, she's daddy, daddy. And she like, this is a long run for a one-year-old. And I just get down on my knees like this. And like people around are watching, you know what I'm saying? Like, and here she comes, daddy, 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 daddy. And then she runs straight into my arms. And we have this awesome, hug. like people clapped. People clapped in the airport. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had this awesome moment of, like, here she is, like, right into, right into me. And, and so I get Harper in the car, and we've got to drive home, and I, and I call my wife, Amy. And I'm really, just like I told you, I'm, like, I'm telling her this whole story, like, Harper came around the corner. And she's just sort of saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And my wife, she's like, oh, man, I want that. I want to have that same experience. I'm so, you know, we, it's, you know, first time she'd been away, we were so anxious for her to come back and so anxious for her to see her. And I said, okay, I'm going to set it up for you too. I'll park on the street. You stay in the driveway and, and like, I'll set her out of the car and you just get there and you'll, she'll go, mommy, 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 and she'll run straight into your arms. So I parked on the street. I mean, we had it set up. I parked on the street, I got out, I got her out of her car seat, and I, I sat her down and said, Mommy's right over there, just go right over there around the car. And she comes around the side of the car, and there's Amy, arm, big smile, arms up, and our daughter Harper holds her arms up and takes off running right to her. And I'm like, this is it, this is the moment. It's going to happen, and Harper runs right past Amy. To that ball you hang in your garage to know how far you park your car at. You know what I'm talking about? Never sees Amy. Runs right past her and goes to this tennis ball hanging in our garage. And my wife, is. she looks at me and she comes over and her face is sad. And she comes and she puts her head on my shoulder and I whisper in her ear, she loves me more. <laughs> Man, let's talk about focus in 2018. Jesus says, it's going to be like, a bridegroom showing up, and some people are going to be ready, and some people aren't. And when, when he shows up, he's going to want to give, give an account. 
And, and, and I think there, there is a warning in this story. And the warning is we can miss it. You remember what the people in the story say? The righteous and the unrighteous, they both ask the exact same question. You remember what the question is? When did we see you? When did we see you? Like, it's, and, and the warning I think for us is that, like, man, we, we, can, we can get so focused on everything else Right? Like, like it happens. It's so focused on everything else that, that maybe we miss the Jesus right in front of us. Part of this, this story, I think, is to ask the question, who do you see in your office, on the streets, in the park, at, at your school? I invite you and encourage you as you grow in love and compassion this year to pursue, to maybe, I don't know if you have to grab people, you might have to look real hard sometimes, but to grab people by the face and look into them and to see in each and every person the face of Jesus. In every opportunity we have to embrace our neighbor, think about this, we have the opportunity to embrace Christ himself. To embrace God's kingdom, to embrace life and life to the full. And like if you go back to this high stakes story that Jesus says, that he tells, he says the difference between life and death is those whom we choose to embrace. This morning, I just uh, I want to invite you. the The invitation is 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 frankly to life is is to enter the kingdom of heaven by having compassion on all whom we meet. Uh, by by serving our neighbors as if they were Christ, to pursue and see Christ in others. Um, I know we're not the biggest church in Nashville or Franklin. We may not even be the biggest church on this road. Um, But what if we were the most compassionate? think that would have the power to change things, to change lives. This morning I invite you to see Christ in each other, to see Christ even in people you don't like, to pursue Christ in them, to grow in love and compassion. In just a minute I'm going to send you to a time of communion. It's it's, it's great that, that maybe you have your, your meditation time, but I invite you to have communion together. Let's start practicing seeing Christ in each other. You can do that by offering words of encouragement or forgiveness or even a hug.
even a smile to those around you. And we have the elements of communion set around the room. It's, it's a part of our tradition. It's part of what we do every week. We feel like it's super important. And uh, if you ever have questions about why we do it, man, we'd, we'd love the chance to share more with you. But in a minute, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'll, I'll send you to these tables these to commune with Christ himself. But before we go, I want to give you this, this, uh, this last quote from, from Mother Teresa. Uh, it is, how she began and ended each day by saying these words. And, and I just, I say them over you as, as a blessing and as a benediction. All is forgiven. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today to love and to serve. Let us begin. Father God, I thank you so much for your son Jesus, for his example, and, and for this teaching. I thank you for the way that it, like it's, it's deep and real and high stakes and, and shaking, but also, Father God, for the way that it, it, it draws some truth out of us. And Father God, I think, I think there's, there's a deep truth, and I pray that everyone here in this place would know it and feel it. And the truth is that, is that you are love and that you created us out of love for the purpose of love. And so, Father God, um, maybe as we sit here this morning, we've been distracted. And we just need to repent of, of the things that we pursue instead of your, your arms are wide open. And so, Father God, forgive us for the times that we've run right past you to, to other things, to meaningless things. Let us pursue you and seek you out. Let us recognize you. Let us, um, in, in the best kind of way imaginable, let us be haunted by the faces of every person we meet as we lay in bed at night. Let the faces of those we've met throughout the day be, be visible to us and let us, with, with intention, look for you in each and every one. And Father God, there's not a one of us that have the market cornered on compassion or love. Father God, there's so much that, that we have to gain. Let us move, let us grow in compassion and love this year. Let us feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty. Father God, let us open our homes to the stranger and care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. For those struggling with doubt or body image issues, Father God, let us be a voice of comfort and truth. For those struggling with business decisions, Father God, let us be a, a source of wisdom, encouragement, accountability. Father God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen invite you to enjoy a time of communion together.